party. People say I'm the life of the party, but there's no fucking party to be the life of. So it's last orders at ten into Sainsbury's where I buy cauliflower and broccoli florets mixed back, two Christmas trees, frozen peas and a hat stand to create the illusion that, well, the two bottles of gin, three bottles of Prosecco, four bottles of cider for the squeeze and an eight pack of Fever Tree Slimline Elderflower Enhanced Tonic was mere ballast in the trolley and not the requisite bounty of beverage to bubble up with until the wee hours. For this is tier three again. Or I can't remember, is it again or... Yeah. So have a good look at the NHS app. Pretend you're logged in. Nobody cares because it's crap. If you look closer, it's impossible to face this test track and trace. It's not even in that order. Since he left, I got lonely, and I created a bubble with some others in quite a few other bubbles too. Outside, I'm masquerading. Inside, I must... Mm. Well, socially, I've always given the outward effect of Mr. Party. Since I was old enough to party, that was. I'm sure it started with that night of the general election. I was at school... And we realised that Jonesy's parents were away. It was a Friday. We were 15, 16 and 17. And Margaret Thatcher was about to whack her hard navy handbag down on the green baize cabinet picnic trestle table. Fine the women and leave a coop of grisly old potties to make her their queen. Queen bee, that is. She already had the real one to deal with. And more recently, my pal, the ridiculously talented actress Hayden Gwynne, would... She'd dazzle as Thatcher, opposite Helen Mirren as Lizzo, in Peter Morgan's The Audience, which is a fascinating slow romp through the Queen and her Prime Ministers, and indeed all the conversations that she did or didn't have. So the plans to meet at Jonesy's took a grip all through double English, and by about seven we were, all lads I recall, in the kitchen at Jonesy's parents. They'd gone away for the weekend. Hurrah! I think it was the home brew, which was then a major dad activity that occupied most of the evening. All our attics, sheds, garages hosted bottles of what looked like under-the-weather horse piss. Gurgle, gurgle, almost ready now. Mm, Not yet, should be ready for Christmas. (sighs) Nothing for the ladies here, I seem to remember. Oh, praise be those late seventies in all their tits-out, shiny-lipped, misogynistic fervour. We watched Margaret Thatcher blue and gurn away to the throne. All a blur then. Somebody put Floyd's dark side of the moon on, and I remember miming it, dancing around Jonesy's parents' patio. The great gig in the sky. Woo-woo-woo! Yeah! How completely and unabashedly shameless am I to thrill to the fact that the otherworldly talent that is Claire Torrey, for it was she who wailed into the chasm on that record, she comes to my gigs. It's humbling, really. Clunk, clunk. I don't know Helen Mirren at all, though, or Herbie Hancock, and I met Orinoco Womble just the once at Shrewsbury Flower Show, and I thought him a little bit too tall to be the real deal. My caning had started, 
The drinking, I mean, not the memory of that sharp whack to the arse cheeks as I wandered into school late for assembly again, my nylon shorts containing so much Johnson's baby powder to mask the smell of a twice-wetted bed. God bless my beautiful parents, if indeed blessings are still a thing. I'm doubting God is these days. We're all players in that shiftless King of the Clouds master plan. Yes... Mr. Baker's hand was held aloft. Not the arse, not the arse, not the arse. Too late. A firm whack on my chuchy nylon-wrapped cheeks, and poof! I disappeared in a gossamer, powdery cloud of carcinogenic, damp toddler dust. Jonesy's party? Not sure if I even made it home. The homebrew had done its sneaky jobs, I think, and I ended up again in Ashley Neal's caravan. Ashley was an unusual boy, in the sixth form, ahead of his years, Flirted with all the teachers, eccentric, stroppy, clever, very handsome, and a volatile parent-teenager connection. So a two-birth caravan was plonked in the parents' garden, and it was to become a strange sanctuary for me. I ran away from home just the once. We were a peaceful, laughing family, but every now and then, you know, the volume went up a bit. My sister fled to Sarah Roberts's, and I flounced up the hill to Ashley Neal's caravan. Roll on the years, I suppose, and I'm not brilliant at parties. If I'm in control, and I've cooked, and there are eight guests that I know and love for dinner, I'm in my element. But that great unknown... Hey, we're having a party on the 17th. You must come, bring a bottle. Mm. It's the thing we want the most now. The groups of six, the outside, the inside. The households mixing, the bubbles, troubles. Keep away. No, 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 do come in. It's all become very different almost elegiac, and it suits me fine sometimes to know that I don't have to immediately go to the toilet. I don't need the toilet. I just need to arrive, reboot, breathe, and I'm in. Hi, you must be... And of course, I was always the baby in any room of adults, but now my best friend calls me Nana, and I don't mind. He's the producer on this show, actually, and a marvellous pianist. There's a strange solace to being, ahem, late fifties. It's okay. It's okay. But my party scene? Hmm. If I could cast it, direct it, light it, and, like the shocking state of play with many of my friends having rehearsed and polished a show, would I close the party down these days? I don't know. Could I marshal the slow, painful exit of, right, everybody, out. You've had enough. This is my house. I love you all. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But if just you could stay and you and you and you then we can get to Sainsbury's and buy cauliflower and broccoli mixed florets and oh fuck the decoy purchases nobody cares 14 bottles of Prosecco please oh oh, I see make it 16 all back to mine well just you and you double bubble with extra bubbles People say I'm the life of the party. Close the door after you. Ronnie Scott and Claire Martin. What do you mean the breakdown van has broken down? What? I was on a freezing M23 with a fairly jolly vehicle rescue bloke. He was eating Jaffa cakes. Do you want one, mate? 
Now, my relationship with the Jaffa Cake, or cakes, is singularly unsingular. From the moment they tumble out of the plastic internal packaging, their time on earth, or on my sofa, or on my bed, is unutterably short. They cannot and will not be shared. And I cannot just have the one. As Geoffrey Bernard famously said as he was about to begin another Olympic-level morning, noon and evening at his three favourite Soho imbibing sheds. No, you're fine, mate. Saliva cascaded around my ankles. I'd recently, thanks to my best friend Claire Martin, O-B-E-A-C-E-A-B-C, she has more awards and gongs than Judy Dench. I'd recently bought a small flat on Montpellier Street in Brighton. It was peculiarly cheap and had a sort of sideways view of the sea. It was nice. Claire was round the corner in Brunswick Place, in another cute basement flat full of candles, attractive throws, her obsession to this day, music, paintings, and love and friendship. I met Claire in the street years ago. It was a sunny afternoon and she was walking down Longacre in Covent Garden with the ludicrously handsome sax player and singer Ray Gelato. Ian Shaw, Claire Martin. Three days later, this extraordinary young jazz singer was up a ladder in her underwear painting my Brixton Flats hall the colour of a London bus. We splashed cheap vinyl silk everywhere and listened to Joni Mitchell and Sarah Vaughan. Nobody comes close in terms of what I can and do say. She pushes every giggle, every huffle-puffle, and aside from a mind-numbingly beautiful fingerprint, vocal sound and sense of how to really, really sing, sing the words as well, she is fucking funny. So we'd been shopping in Brighton, the lanes, the big shops. Here, shopsy. Shopsy was her nickname for me. It's too long to go into here. Look at these throws. Look at these throws. I'm not as keen on the throw. For me, it's like having a bread sandwich, you know. Shopsy! We were in one of Brighton's flashiest home furnishing emporia. You know, that one where you can buy a very useful bronze elephant or a human-sized candle in gold-flecked acid colours and throws. Naturally drawn, my fabulous friend Claire was fingering them like she was casing the echelons of a Marrakesh market. She flung her head back and roared, Shopsy, these throws are a hundred quid a throw! Guffaw did we. I'd parked outside Claire's flat on the hill, car firmly in gear, another dad trick for hill parking. It was 5pm and it had gone dark in Brighton and probably elsewhere. I was on at Ronnie Scott's at quarter to ten. Back in the day when my band would do two weeks, mostly opposite American or Cuban main acts, Horace Silver, Cedar Walton, Irakire, Flora and Ayerto Purim, Fourth World, and of course the incredible pianist Monty Alexander. Life was good, Brixton flat, partner, dog, and this tiny, cheap, cute garret in Brighton. My car keys were nowhere. Phone calls to the three shops we could remember, breathlessly soft furnishing my new gaff in. Nothing, nothing. 6.45, called the rescue. Mr Jaffa Cakes arrives at 7.30ish. Claire called Ronnie Scott, uh, suggesting that Mornington Lockett, the superb tenor player who was in my band, should I fail to get to my flat where the spare keys were and then drive to Ronnie Scott's jazz club, he could go on with the trio and Ronnie would ramp up my plight. One, two, one, two, is this thing working? 
and all jollity and jazz singing would eventually resume for the second set. Parked in gear on the hill, there was no getting the car onto the ramp of the tow truck. Lubricant! Claire shouted. Mr Jaffa Cakes registered nothing. Armfuls of shampoo, conditioner, fabric softener were gathered and Claire and Jaffa smeared the front two tyres. My Peugeot 106 was finally on its way. I'll keep tabs on your progress on the phone, Shopsy. Have a great gig. Give my love to Ronnie and the band. Which tells me that this was definitely the 90s and not 1934. We set off. The breakdown van broke down. Something to do with overheating. Quarter past nine. Calls were made. Half nine. More calls. I can't really remember the other van. I vaguely remember going to my Brixton flat, grabbing the spares from a drawer, leaping back into the car. 11.20pm. Ronnie Scott was standing on the steps. I'll park the car, get your ass on stage, and don't come off until every punter has cleared the room. Uh, I've got no real recall of the gig. It probably went fine. I probably feebly apologised, made a few jokes. Ronnie had gone home by the time I came off stage. I bantered in the stinking basement dressing room. And about 2.30am, I stepped onto the chilly Frith Street. There were a few people huddled outside Ray Gelato's office, Bar Italia, sipping their cappuccinos. Ronnie had parked the car all right. He'd thrown the keys at me on stage during a bass solo in Love Is Here To Stay, F major, always. I peered the length of Frith Street. My acrid green 106 was, of course, nowhere to be seen. I traipsed, clammy, and fired up from a two-hour set of music. And about an hour later, I discovered the offending vehicle at the north end of Berners Street, opposite the bookies. I should have known. Ronnie Scott loved a flutter. Stealing Time The twenty-minute walk home from his job to his flat, Green Park, to Victoria, is often a FaceTime call, a catch-up, some certain words in uncertain times, a small plan, a discussion on what to cook or a see you tomorrow. But suddenly, you're in a phone box, an actual red phone box. It's dark, and you're belting out Whitney Houston down the phone. Share my life. Take me for what I am. It's almost Christmas. And whatever your spiritual, religious, or familial jam, I like the trees, the lights, the red food, the red drinks, the silly songs, the once comforting sense of family history that goes as far back as Dad telling us he got an orange in a football sock. Mum, oddly, got the complete Charles Dickens. I have those books in my flat, and I opened Bleak House only this morning. It wasn't the grandeur of the binding, the beautiful gold on darkest of blues, the tracing paper protecting the illustrations, the dedications at the front. It was the smell. It filled me with a strange happiness, not really experienced, certainly not this year, of grandparents, cards played in the dark, or buffed-up cornets, carols, singing, telly, 
or reaching up for large, warm hands, that strange, almost detached intimacy of family and friends. Pandemic love. Pandemic love? Not the love shown on our screens, applauded, heralded and questioned in all of its many collected forms that you can find, at least. Aren't we the lucky ones? A strange kind of love. Had I not responded to that online? Hey, handsome. Then these months would be entirely different. Convergence. I'm not going to Google it or even reach for the Oxford English. It's dark blue and scarlet. Life-battered jacket rarely touched these days, unlike the Dickens. If I could only bring myself to utilise one, just one, of the hundreds of reference books, history books, manuals, politics, lexicographical bindfests, lives of the great composers, I spy books, Enid Bloody Blyton, mm, Dickens. Always go back to Dickens. But this section in my flat is bookended with the Oxford English one end, and very mysteriously, a, a big, heavy book about one of the Mitford sisters. Even more mysteriously, double-bought at Daunt's a while back, with one massive red copy gifted to, well, who else? Julian Clary. I know. Convergence, serendipity, happenstance. Which one of these brought some love and an intimacy I thought... I had left far behind, way, way before the pandemic, way before many things, including my mum dying. So, 2012, to be frank, when there was a person to call from far away to think about every other moment of the day, every mundanity, drive, gig, cinema, meal, everything planned. Love. I guess it is called that. It came not on stealthy footsteps, but fairly assuredly, after a few bits of emotional housekeeping, rules, if you like, had been logged and stored somewhere in our now conjoined day-to-day -day lives. I don't want to go where you don't follow. You belted Whitney out at the top of your falsetto voice. It made me smile. You see through right to the heart of me. Uh, I know it's a kind of stealing time. We're from different worlds, generations apart, but you seem to want what I want right now. It's not as easy as you'd think during a pandemic, let me tell you. But when it is, it's just fine, and it's easy. And as long as you keep singing in red phone boxes, what could possibly go wrong? Stay in my arms if you dare. Safe travels, and see you soon. Oh, and if there is a red phone box in Marrakesh, if there is one there, you know exactly what to do. Not Even Music, written and read by Ian Shaw, was produced by Jamie Safir. Original music by Tristan Ryder. <laughs>